0: Welcome to the Old Time Radio Daily Westerns. I'm your host, Andrew Rines, and today, today's going to be a special episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. If you plan on doing any online shopping with Mother's Day less than a week away, do go to otrwesterns.com gift And you will find a whole selection of online gift cards that you're able to buy. The nice thing about the gift cards is you're able to send them via email. You can print them out yourself and give them to your mother, mother mother-in-law, even your wife. If if she is a mother, don't forget her. And I think that's going to be it on that ad. Again, it's otrwesterns.com slash gift. Check it out. And it's a great shopping idea. Again, today's episode is going to be a special episode. This episode is dedicated to how sound effects were made. Uh, It's a half an hour show that I originally recorded after Gunsmoke and decided that it needed to be its own special episode. So again, if you did listen to uh, to the last part of Gunsmoke at the very end, it's going to be that first six minutes and then fast forward to then and you won't have to hear it again. I think that's it. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know, and we'll get into it. Okay, so let's get into this. Um, I'm going to read a quick story. It's actually funny. I tried finding the... Episode that these guys are talking about. I don't even know what show is for, so I can't go through all of them. I mean, if it was a popular show, I would have went through every single one of these to find it. Um, but it's it's funny. This is pretty much a scene about ten thousand drunken chickens. So let's get into it. One day, a few decades ago, when dramas were still regular part of radio broadcasts, uh, CBS sound effects man Ray Kemper. Checked the script on upcoming broadcast and found an unusual request. One scene required the sound of 10,000 drunk chickens. Kemper and his noise-making partner, Bill James, like most mainstream Americans, were unfamiliar with the sounds of inebriated poultry. You see, And they had another problem. Director William N. Robinson had a reputation for being a little bit difficult to work for and the two men knew he would accept only top-quality work. So this is, this is going to be pretty much a quote from Kimpler. Um, I do believe this was an interview that they'd done with it. I don't have exactly how they got this, but with the quotations that I've got. So Kimpler recalls, with Bill Robinson, if the script called for the rattle of onion skin paper, you better damn well have onion skin paper there. He'll jump all over you if you didn't. He wanted sound effects exactly right. So, what do you do? As Kempler, uh continues. We found a couple of sound effect recording of hundreds and hundreds of chick- of clucking chickens. I guess they had. They also had the option of using recording tape. They didn't. Do, little backstory. Uh, when they did sound effects, they generally recorded live to tape, uh, which means that as they recorded. Um, the actual show they would do the sound effects live so they had a script in the script. it would tell them Okay, uh, we have to, we need 10,000 drunken chickens uh, things like that wind uh, Walking things you know just different sound effects like that they would need uh, so as technology grew They were actually able to use uh, tape recordings, so they didn't have to make the same sounds so example you know, hundreds of clucking chickens, you can't bring those into a studio to do a recording. There's just no way. So you were able to use recordings of hundreds and hundreds of clucking chickens. You know, and you didn't have to record live inside of a, a hen house. You were able to actually, you know, previously go out, record. Quick side note, I just just popped in my head. Anybody who's a big Star Wars fan... The guns firing was actually a microphone put up against um, the giant radio towers. You know how they have those guide wires on them, the, the steel guide wires? It, it was on that, and then they hit it with a hammer, and it made that twanging sound. Yeah. Remarkable. Anyways, we'll, we'll continue with the story. The two men recorded their records onto tape. So they had, you know, vinyl Uh, records, so they went to tape, because you can splice tape and and play with it and get it to sound like you want it to do. Uh, Then, made a separate tape of the two of the men, uh, which would be Kempler and his partner Bill James, uh, alternatively clucking and hiccuping, so they were going back and forth. Uh, Kempler explains, then we... Speeded our little hiccups and clucks up a bit, and we overdubbed that into tapes of uh, of hundreds of thousands—see, hundreds and hundreds of clucking chickens. So, little explanation. So, when they talk about overdubbed, they they kind of impeded themselves in, similar to the way you know I had the background music going in. It's much easier now. I just drag a file in and it has it playing in the background. I do that after the fact. I don't record with that sound. I think it would actually distract me even more than I get reading. Um, so they would overdub. So they would record, pretty much play the two on top of each other. So you would hear the clucks and the and the hiccups and mix them in together. There's still a problem of contending with Bill Robinson. okay, Or or William Robinson, Bill being the nickname. So Bill uh, told Kemper... You know, he's not going to believe this. Kempler replied, I've got an idea. Kempler continued, we took the tape and went to the recording studio. We said to the engineer, transfer this to a 12-inch disc. He did. Then he gave us a very official CBS logo. I took that label and imprinted on it 10,000 drunk chickens. Then I glued it onto the record. So now he's got an official label on top of a 12-inch disc more likely vinyl disc it was able to press it glued it on there now you've got a picture of what it looks like during the rehearsal Kemper manned the sound uh, effects turntables so you know I I don't have a picture but I can just imagine you know a series of turntables that way you didn't have to keep flipping records you had it ready you knew what you were going to do you had the stripped you know weeks days ahead of time when it came time for the unusual sound effects they got the expected response from director Robinson Kimper said he wanted to embarrass me, so he hit the talkback so the whole world could hear. So talkback is you've seen movies where you know they they push a button. They're in their they're in the director's booth, and you know they push the button and they're like you know Ray, that's not ten thousand drunken chickens. Kimper uh, continues, I didn't say a word. I took the record off the turntable, walked over to the director's booth, and stuck the record up against the glass. The point was clear. He didn't say another word the whole show, Kemper reported. Uh, Years later, Kemper uh, told Robinson the story. Robinson said, I remember that. I knew I had been had, but I didn't know how, so I decided to keep quiet. Okay, so that's the short little bit there. That's hilarious. You know, he had a record that said, look, this is... ten thousand drunken chickens. It looked official. You know, so to me that's just hilarious. You can kind of see the process. Let's go into a little bit behind uh Kemper. Okay. Pretty much in the beginning, after doing some Uh, work as a stage actor in Little Theater Productions. Kempler went to work in 1942 in the mailroom at KHJ, the mutual outlet in Los Angeles. Two weeks later, he won an audition for an announcer's position at the station. Kempler states, They put me on the night shift because I was so bad. He didn't stay long. He was drafted in February of 1943 and spent three years in the service. Kempler uh, explains, After I got out in February of 1946, I went back to KHJ, and the announcer's position was not open. There was a position, however, available in the sound effects. There was a sound crew there, headed by Art Fulton, the supervisor of the sound effects department at KHJ. Tommy Hanley and Bill James had already been there when I came back from the war. I learned a lot from them. His other mentors slash co-workers included Art Severance, Norm Smith, Bob Tunble, who later became the producer-director-writer of Network Radio. Kempler uh, states, Sound effects were sometimes indicated in the script in detail, and sometimes not in detail. They left it up to our imaginations on what to do. This is where it starts getting a little more into the Westerns. The intervening years uh, have washed many program titles... Uh, from the memory, but Kempler specifically recalls working on Red Rider, Cisco Kid, and Casebook of Gregory Hood. I cut my teeth on Cisco Kid and Red Rider. I learned a lot of the, see, a lot on those two shows. He explains that's where I met Tom Hanley and Bill James. We became quite uh, triumvirate, which is like a group of three, you know, like the Three Musketeers. Uh, we worked well together. They also established a good reputation for themselves. When Voyage of the Scarlet Queen came in, Elliot Lewis wanted Bill and me to do the show, he said. It could just as e- easily been been Tom, uh, Tommy chosen, but he was doing something else. Often the Scarlet Queen script for the show called for such complicated sound effects that Tom Hanley was hired as a third man on the some shows, if he was available. Kimpler reflects. Elliot was marvelous. Marvelous talent. He was a brilliant person, a superb actor, and fine director. I have nothing but the greatest respect for him. I want the most realistic sounds you can give us, uh, he said, Lewis told him. Yeah, so Lewis had told him you know, that he wants the most realis- realistic sounds, which makes sense because you know, you've, you've got to sell it with tv you get a visual you know with books it's the same way you have to you have to tell what's going on you have to have the person actually experience that okay so kempler Kim- continues he very seldom made suggestions to us he liked our work so well he did something that was unheard of those days he gave bill and me fee by writing in a little line occasion for us and giving us an actor's check yeah back then um there wasn't sound effects guys didn't make a lot of money i mean they are the heart and soul of the show but the actors are who get paid more Okay, let me continue. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen was one of Radio's top quality productions. It employed good writing, performance by Hollywood's most successful actors, and realistic sound effects. Temple continues. We used a lot of records for the winds," he said. We experimented until we got the sound like a creaking ship uh, to us. Occasionally, we built a small, the small items ourselves because we were experimenting. Bigger items, such as a large platform were constructed by a network carpenter shop. Another of mutual programs Kemper did sound effects on was Count of the Monte Crisco. James Del Valle was the producer director on that show, he said. Once during his days at KHJ Mutual, Kemper was working a detective show with two other sound men one night when they needed to provide the sound of a knife going through a wall. Usually a sound man would hold a piece of wood in one outreach hand, and jabbed the block hard with a knife. We got a little piece of... Okay, so, okay, so Kemper, Kemper is saying this now. He got a little piece of wood and put it in his palm of his hands, he said. On the air, he missed the knife. See, he missed, and the knife went right through his hand, and he fainted. Kimpler remembers, well, see, well, the work sound uh, man, Bill James, had to do on Johnny Scribner's show on which the star portrayed characters Jimmy uh, Scribner never had a script he had ad-libbed the entire show he said Bill James had to ad-lib every sound effect on the show he just bought see he just brought a bunch, a bunch of stuff and told Scribner what he had he brought up a door see and a footstep board you continue now footstep board to for some of you guys who may not know it is a small platform because remember when you're doing sound effects you don't need a giant platform you don't need you know something the size of a human you just need something the size for the sound to sound like a human okay let's continue if jimmy wanted something specific he'd say bring a train whistle but Bill was hanging out there, trying to figure out where he was going and what was going to happen next. I worked. You see, it worked out very well. Steve Allen and Wendell Gnome's Smile Time was another radio ad lib show, and Bill James was also the sound man for that program. Okay, so let's get back into Cisco Kid. Cisco Kid writer Bill Gordon too provided many last minute surprises for cast and crew. Bill couldn't write unless he was under pressure. He had a heck of a time trying to get it to the typewriter and making it himself, he said. You have no idea how many times we went on the air live with a Cisco kid and Bill while we were doing the first act and typing on a stencil the second act and running off a mimeograph, um, which is like a copy. Then he would run it with the last pages uh, as we were going. Sweat was running down Jack Mather and Harry Lang's foreheads, but they never missed a show, he added. Now, let me pause that real quick. A lot of you guys say, I don't like the Cisco Kid. Looking back now, knowing that this stuff was actually created on the fly, I could kind of see, you know, you'd have poor actors. I mean, poor Jack Mathers and Harry Lang, they're sitting there, you know, Worse than actually doing what they wanted to do. Okay, so, Kipper left Mutual to work at an advertising agency at a job he hated. In March of 1951, he was hired to do the sound effects for CBS Radio. He encouraged his superiors to hire Tom Hanley. Later that same year, a few months later, they influenced CBS's decision to hire Bill James the crews back together. You know, that's one thing. If you've got one person who or two people you've worked with, you've, you want to get them, you know what they can do. You can read them before they even do it. So they were the three amigos pretty much. After his move to CBS, one of Kempler's best remembered assignments was working on the sound effects of gun smoke. There was a lot of fear on upper floor about doing a show of realism. They were afraid of it. And Norm Macdonald and uh, John Messen. Insisted on this being realistic. They, they wanted this real. This is going to be a realistic show, guys, said McDonald, uh, as he told the Soundmen. Let's do it right. We will take all the time necessary for sound effects. McDonald was true to his word, Kempler said. One time, we walked MacDillon along the boardwalk, across the street, into the Long Branch. Then, he had to come back out of the Long Branch, across the street, to the boardwalk again. Ray, when you come back across the street, can you cut down the time to seven steps? MacDonald asked him. Kemper took his headset off and walked up to the director. Norm, he replied, it took 23 steps to get across there. I'm going to take him 23 steps. It's going to take him 23 steps to get back. McDonald laughed. Damn you, you're right. Do it. Some dialogue was cut instead. The realism maintained intact. That's why you guys like Gun smoke. I just realized this This explains a lot of things, you know, on the fly compared to making sure it sounded real. See, McDonald's mandate for realism was taken so seriously that sound men Kempler, Hanley, and James even used different sound for the various drinks poured in the Long Branch. To pour the beer, we took a soda pop at room temperature and poured it into a glass. The bubbles foamed by the soda pop given in the soft sound that beater has but for whiskey we use plain water it had a harder sound he said At CBS as had happened earlier with mutual Kemper had and his comrades experimented with various ideas when they needed sound effects for a pop-belly stove needed on the gunsmoke show, they built a small wood frame and attached an old iron door. We used a lot of imagination, Kimpler explains. A lot of times he tried many, many things before we found the right sound. One of the many experiments provided the sound of horse's saddle being mounted. They bound together, cut up sections of old microphone cable when the sound was needed salmon simply twisted the cable pieces near the microphone which gives it that leathery sound and once a rider had mounted his horse it was time for hanley james and kipler to grab the coconut shells so the horses could gallop off coconut shells really okay um we each had our own set of coconut shells that fit our hands just right. Kemper revealed, Tommy had a much smaller hands than I, so I used so so he used smaller coconut shells. We drilled holes on the side about half an inch from each hollowed half of coconut shells, and attached leather straps loosely on each side so it went over the top of the coconut shell. We see we could slip our fingers. Um, Under that, quickly, he added, a wooden box filled with dirt provided the necessary ingredients for the sound of horses racing to the rescue. But careful sound men, like Kempler and his colleagues, came prepared with a variety of services. The quote-unquote hoof box was about 18 inches square, about 4 inches deep. It was filled with a mixture of dirt, sand, and very fine gravel, Kempler said just before airtime we'd sprinkle see we'd sprinkle it down with a little bit of water it would give us a nice clean dirt sound i'm going to interject real quick that's amazing i mean nowadays you have a horse actually riding but for back then you know it almost makes me want to build my own hoof box if a script called for a horse to travel from dirt from a dirt road to a wooden bridge the edge of the hoof box provided a perfect sound for the occasion Okay, so that was a 5 and one Anyways, if we wanted to move to cement like Straight Arrow used to do on Fury in the Cave, we'd have a little slab of cement off to the side. It echoes and it sounds real big, he said. A four-foot-long, 18-inch-wide board supplied the realistic sound of the boardwalk on Radio Westerns. We used a one-inch-thick piece of marine plywood... And around the edge of the bottom... Let's see. Around the edge of the bottom side... About 2 see. About a two inch strip of wood... That would have carpeted... So it wouldn't rattle around. Kind of cool. It kind of insulated it. I'm going to smoke that it was one basic door... Used for most of... For most home and Marshall office door sounds. The only different sounds that we got... From different offices... Or different places was the way we opened the door Kemper revealed we would handle it in different ways snap it open or give it a little extra rattle or something like that it made it sound like a different door but not too much a smaller frame set of bat-winged bat-winged oh I've never heard of bat-winged Maybe that's hinged. Bat-hinged doors. I think it's supposed to be hinged. Typo. Like I said, I'm just reading this. Um, bat-hinged doors was used every time that someone entered or left the long branch. We'd hold one door and snap the other one back and forth. It gave us a little rush of air, and it sounded exactly like a big bat-hinged door being opened, he said. Likewise, a miniature jail door was employed any time Matt or Chester escorted a law Escorted an outlaw to Dodge City's jail. Rusty hinges helped add the effect, too. My favorite producer and directors were Elliot Lewis and Norm MacDonald, Tony Ellis and Jamie Del Valle, Kimper said. Um, until people like Elliot Lewis and Tony Ellis, who, uh, and see, and Jamie Del Valle, and particularly Norm, really took over and pointed the major direction of the industry. Sound was kind of a bastard child's. See, was kind of bastard child's. That was true or not of drama, but of comedy. The far-seeing people realized there was a great value there, and others were missing, he observed. Tony was a fine, fine talent. I first met him when he was an actor. He had this loft British accent, he said. Then he began writing for The Count of Monte Cristo. He he and Bill Gordon wrote for that show. Tony was writing those shows like crazy. Then he sort of faded away from acting because he got busy writing. He credits Elliot Lewis, uh, Lewis's 1947 production of Voyage of Scarlet Queen as being the era of true understanding of the importance of sound. Elliot was very cognizant of that necessity and that needed f- need for authentic sound he said later he en- encountered ellis at cbs were later associated with suspense romance romance and escape he was a fine writer and director kempler noted kemper and several other cbs sound effect artists occasionally wrote radio strips about 10 have gun will travel strips were penned by Kemper. He wrote an episode of The Count of Montecrisco and he still worked at Mutual. Jamie Del Valle, or it's Jaime, yeah. Jaime, Jaime Del Valle probably is how it is. It looks like Jamie, uh, bought his strip. That was the first strip that I wrote. He said, I was 23 at the time and I was thrilled out of my skull. Soundman Ross Murray wrote several suspense on stage and escape radio plays and Tom Hanley also wrote for some of the popular CBS dramas. Tommy wrote quite a few of Gunsmokes for both radio and television, he recalled. He was quite an excellent writer. He wrote a few suspense stories also and received a national award for Best Drama of the Year for a suspense, he wrote. That story starred Bill Conrad, or William Conrad. Kemper credits the work of the radio engineers of part... See, for part of the success of the radio sound effects team, it was important to have a good mixer, a good audio engineer who worked in concert with us, he said. At CBS, Bob Chadwick was the engineer. He was an excellent mixer, very conscientious, and he always worked in concert with us, he said. Looking back, work he and his colleagues did, Kimpler now views their efforts as, in artistic terms. We were telling a story and painting a picture. Sound effects were, see, sound effects was what painted the picture. The voices and the actors held the drama. That, in concert with the sound effects, painted the portrait. So this this was all based uh, with um, in an interview in 1991. So that's it. This was a special, um, an extra special, because I'm pushing 30 minutes. So if you like this kind of material, and you guys think that... Um, we should do some sort of we, or I should do some sort of special and I can do things like this. I can do the videos, you know, it just depends on what it is. Uh, finding this type of stuff out is just beautiful. Uh, like I said, I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, to the site. Um, but I definitely, definitely, uh, like this type of thing. Okay. So I'm looking at this, uh, and This is what I really would love to do. I would love to get a tape of this. It says that there's a tape, and it looks like it costs probably about 10 bucks, give or take. It looks like it's an hour long. I would love to get this tape. Uh, If you guys want to make a donation to otrwesterns.com, on the right-hand side there's a donation button. I can guarantee you I will get this tape, if they're still selling it, because obviously I have to put that... um, if I have to I'll call them this website's old you know who knows if the person's still alive but I will do my best to get this cassette tape and I will um, I will get this and I will play this and this will be a special episode uh, for sure because it looks like it there's two 60 minute tapes and heck they may be double sided so it may be even longer and it, it's this whole thing with Ray Kempler. it's actually Ray Kempler's voice uh, from what I'm reading they, they recorded it so, what I just read was a portion of the interview. I read it in a half an hour. I would love to hear the real thing. So, if you guys want to, um, again, make a donation to OTRwesterns.com. I will go ahead and get this for you. Um, I'm also working at trying to get, uh, Straight Arrow and a couple other things. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to do. And again, you know, having the Amazon affiliate is great. Um, that helps me, but I only get a very small commission off of what you guys purchase. Um, example like today I have, let me, let me quickly, uh, run down. I do have, uh, an ad I want to read, but again, it requires your guys' participation. Um, I've been working at trying to get Amazon, Amazon at Audible as a sponsor, which is really owned by Amazon, but anyways, so I've been trying to, to do this and, and, If you've never heard audiobooks before, I want you to go to otrwesterns.com forward slash uh, audible, and you will, that's A-U-D-I-B-L-E, by the way, you guys will find that this is probably the most interesting thing in the world. You can download any book, any book, it doesn't have to be a Western, Um, I like police uh, dramas actually, there's a couple of them that I listen to. Uh, and I can actually do these uh, ads. You know, let me know. You guys talk to me. This is a special episode. You guys downloaded it. Let me know what you think. Um, but I do, I do want you guys to go to otrwesterns.com dot com forward slash Audible a u d i b. You know what? Go to otrwesterns.com dot com forward slash book to go ahead and check this out. Guess what? I can spell book better than I can pronounce Audible. But and you can get a two week free trial by doing that. Um, that's one of those things that I would love for you guys to try out. If you've never heard an audio book and you want a suggestion, send me an email. I will let you know, um, what I'm reading. Actually, let me log into my, uh, uh, my audio account real quick. Currently, I'm logging in. Hold on guys. I have hundreds of books. The current book that I'm reading is by, uh, Michael Conley and the title is The Black Arrow um it's a funny book it's a police drama so if you really like the this is kind of real life um real life but fake it's a there's a murder and he's got to go ahead and find out what happens i'm going to throw a quick clip in so you guys can hear it detective bosch lewis took over then in a modulated
1: calm tone We would like to ask you questions regarding the investigation of the death of William Meadows. Will you tell us of any past association with or knowledge you had of the decedent? I refuse to answer any questions without an attorney present, Bosch said. I cite my right to representation under California's Policeman's Bill of Rights. Detective Bosch, the Department Administration does not recognize that aspect of the Policeman's Bill of Rights. You are commanded to answer these questions. And if you do not, you will be subject to suspension and possible dismissal. You Can you loosen these handcuffs, please? Bosch said. What? Lewis cried out, losing his calm, confident tone. Clark stood up and went to the tape recorder and bent over it. Detective Bosch is not handcuffed, and there are two witnesses here who can attest to that fact, he said. Just the two that cuffed me, Bosch said, and beat me. This is a direct violation of my civil rights. I request that a union rep and my attorney be present before we continue. Clark rewound the tape and turned the recorder off. His face was almost purple with anger as he carried it back to his partner's briefcase. It was a few moments before words came to either one of them. Clark said, It's going to be a pleasure to do you, Bosch. We'll have the suspension papers on the chief's desk by the end of the day. You'll be assigned to a desk at Internal Affairs where we can keep an eye
0: on you. Anyways, go to OTRWesterns.com forward slash book to check out Audible. It is one of the best things that I do. You guys, um, if you guys run out of podcasts like I do, and, you know, you work 10 hours a day, you're in the car for a couple hours driving back and forth to work. Definitely, this is something to listen to. I actually read, and I call it reading, more books than I could actually sit down and read with my eyes because I'm working. I can, I, you know, I work with my hands all day long. I'm, you know, it, it kind of fades in the background, but I always know where I'm at. And I'm always, I'm laughing. I was listening to it Friday, and I was, I had tears coming out of my eyes. It's not a comedy, but it's just, it's funny because it's, it's so real and so true. It's exactly like old-time radio, except it doesn't have the sound effects. It's all done by books. Some of them do have sound effects, but, again, you know. Okay, so this is a long episode. Let me just cut it real short, real quick. Again, if you guys would love um, to hear the full audio thing, go to otrwesterns.com. On the right-hand side, there's a donation. It's just $10. Um, I, I know that doesn't seem like much, but... That's what I need. I, you know, I need to get this from these guys. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna try to find out where they're at. I have their address, but I want to shoot them an email, um, and, and make sure that I know that they're still around. But please, you know, I need your guys' help to get this. And if you liked hearing the story, and you want to hear more of it you know, and you have the $10, you know, even if you don't have 10, you know, if I get 10 people sending me a dollar, I mean, that's, that's all I'm asking, you know, it, it just, you know, and then I'll let you guys know by next week, um, what's going on. So again, thanks for listening. This was a special interview, um, transcribed somewhat, you know, from Ray Kemper. So let's go ahead and end this. And let me give you my contact information, otrwesterns.com. Send me an email, podcast at otrwesterns.com. Call, leave me a voicemail, 707-98-OTRDW. Again, that's 707-986-8739. Again, thanks for listening. I hope I wasn't too bad. And I, I, I did go back and clean up some of my stuff, but I didn't lose anything in the translation. Just my stuttering, just my reading. Um, things like that i'm I'm not used to reading that long out loud i didn't like doing it as a kid and i don't like doing it as an adult but it's it's something that i do love um knowing how they do these sound effects is just beautiful so again this was a special episode of old-time radio westerns and hope you guys enjoy again thanks for listening